time that I get the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning here at Riverside is to go through the entirety of this letter from Paul to the believers located in the city of Colossae. Now, before we kind of dive in, I just want to go through a brief recap uh, before we dive into our text for this morning. So again, uh, what's happened already is that Paul has laid the foundation of who Jesus is. Jesus is the head of the body, right? He, he is the head or the lead of the church. Jesus is fully God. Jesus has created all things and sustains all things. Then Paul went into great detail about what Jesus' death means for these believers in Colossae. And also for us as well, right? They used to be dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins, but God made them alive through Jesus' sacrifice of his own shed blood and life on the cross. And just a few verses before our text for this morning, Paul encouraged these believers to live out this new life with Jesus by actively moving away from those sinful actions of their past. He told them to kill them, to put to death their earthly desires. Sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, lying, adultery. That is what Paul just told them. But now this morning, I want to answer two questions. Why and how? Why we should put those things to death and how we can practically do them, right? Why we should put aside sinful things and how we can do it. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, only through the power of Christ. But I believe that there are some very practical steps that we can take in order to better equip ourselves to keep Jesus in mind as we go about our daily lives. But uh, before we get any further, I just want to pray and ask God to help us with his word. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. I thank you for those that are here for various reasons, either because they want to, because they were forced to, uh, or maybe because uh, they don't know where else to turn. God, please open our ears to what you have to say to us, and let us be receptive to the applications that your word has. God, please allow my words to be clear, and if there is anyone here who does not know you, I pray that you will convict their hearts and give them the faith to believe. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, I want to find two answers, right? Uh, two, 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 I want to answers, find answers for two questions. Words are hard. I got this. Through Christ. Uh, why should we put sinful things aside and how we can do it? Uh, if you will, uh, if you don't already have your Bibles, uh, open up to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. That's where we're going to be for the majority. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, starts off and it says, put on then. Now, real quick, uh, Paul used that same verbiage of put on and put off, or taking off, uh, like taking off dirty old clothes uh, before uh, in, in verses 9 through 10. It said, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So again, uh, here in verse 12, it's that same continuation of that idea of putting aside, taking off 
in putting to death our old selves. But here, we see a fuller explanation of what replacing it with a new self actually looks like. And again, we get a little glimpse into the why here. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So again, before we can put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, right, there's a qualifier. There's a prerequisite to being able to put on this new self. Prerequisite is being God's chosen ones, being holy, being his beloved ones. Now, do you see the why? Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are no longer identified as sinners in the eyes of God. True believers in Jesus, they are holy. They are set apart. They are beloved by God, and they have been chosen by God to do great things for his kingdom as a part of his family. So, the why Christians should put on compassionate hearts is because they have first received true compassion from God through Jesus. They have seen, experienced, and have faith in God's compassion that ransomed their lives from their old sinful state. And now they can truly have compassion for the lost just as God has shown them. Chosen ones, holy and beloved. You see these words time and time again in the Old Testament to describe the nation of Israel. <clears throat> you can see how God provided and protected them. And you can see how he lovingly disciplined them when they turned their backs on him over and over. But Paul isn't talking to only the Israelites, only the Jews here in this text, right? Paul was writing this letter to a diverse congregation in the city of Colossae. It wasn't just Jews, it wasn't just the Israelites, but it was all kinds of people. Again, this, this new self that's found in Christ, it transcends the boundaries of religious background, ethnicity, and social status. Whatever our worldly background or status is or was, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, we all now have our fundamental identity determined by Christ and with the people of Christ. Believers, we are rooted in the new identity that is found in relationship with and salvation in Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Again, not talking about Jews only, right? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Riverside, we have been chosen by God for a purpose. Our purpose is to tell others of the great love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness that Jesus offers to them through faith in him. Let's not forget that. But uh, let's, let's kind of more fully 
see a little bit what that looks like. Uh, again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I want to take each of these in turn. So compassion, uh, literally translated, is like bowels. Sounds weird. But uh, we are to have compassion. We are to have bowels of mercy, as some translations say. Again, I know, it sounds weird. But what, what it's meaning is that our love should be characterized by mercy, not superficial compassion, not superficial mercy, but mercy and grace that comes from within, from the deepest part of you, sincere, heartfelt compassion. The other one is, is kindness or goodness. We are to reflect the kind and good acts that God has shown to us to those around us. The new self also has humility, being humble and not prideful. Just as Jesus showed in his supreme act of humbling by leaving his kingly throne and putting on human flesh in order to serve others. Even willingly suffering, even to the point of death on a cross for our sake. We too should reflect that humility in our lives as God's chosen and holy people. If the God of the universe could stoop down to our level and wash his disciples' feet, couldn't we too get down from our high horses and serve those in our community who we may prefer to stay away from for many various reasons? So again, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness isn't a word that we use too often in, in, in our culture today, but it, it, it means gentleness. Meekness is gentleness, similar to humility, but meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So part of putting on the new self is not being arrogant and overbearing, but instead seeing others as more important than yourselves. And then we have patience. God is patient with his people. Again, we see this pattern of patience in God with the Israelites. But we are supposed to be God's people through faith in Jesus. Meaning that we should have that same kind of patience for those that God has put in our lives as God has with us. Now, uh, all of those things, they are not natural to us, right? Again, talking about the new self. We take off the old self and we put on this new self through Christ. But <clears throat> if I'm being, uh, you know, fully transparent with you, as a youth pastor and uh, even father of a teenager, uh, real talk, okay, uh, patience is probably what I can struggle with putting on the most here. And I'm sure I'm not alone. But, if you're sensing a theme here, as we recognize just how patient the Lord is with us when we sin and fail time and time again, when we prefer our old, dirty rags of clothing instead of these, these new, glorious, holy ones that he's given us to wear, 
when we don't prioritize time with him and his word, when we truly realize just how wayward our hearts and minds can be, and God still says that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that is when we can, in his strength, be patient with those that he's put in our lives. This new life that we are to put on and live out, it shouldn't be an act, but rather it should be a genuine reflecting of what God has done for you. Riverside, we should be a people, God's people gathered together here in Newport Ritchie, Florida, who are characterized by this new self. We should be God's people characterized by compassion, by kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And in doing so, we give those who are far from God and lost in their sins a glimpse into what being a member of the family of God actually looks like. But again, Paul continues, and there's a shift here from abstract words and attitudes straight to what it looks like in action. This new self should include, in verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So putting on the new self involves acting on these attitudes. These actions of bearing with and forgiving each other is the natural outgrowth of those five virtues. So as you are compassionate and merciful with one another, you will be willing to forgive easier because you have that genuine love for one another. As you are kind to one another, you will be more gracious in your response when you are being wronged. As you are humble and meek, you will be quick to think of the other person's perspective and not only your own. And as you are patient, you will be slower to respond in anger. This new life that we are to put on and live out, it shouldn't be an act. Rather, it should be a genuine reflecting of what God has done for you. Now, there are two acts in this verse that are key to living out this new self in Christian community. Again, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bearing with and forgiving one another. Bearing with, in other words, is to put up with. I know for some of you, uh, myself included, uh, putting up with people that you just can't with uh, may be more difficult than sometimes forgiving others at times, right? But this is the natural outworking of God working in us, right? We should bear with and put up with our brothers and sisters. Not only should we bear with one another and just, you know, barely get by, but we are to genuinely forgive each other. Forgiving others, it is an act of grace that is freely offered, and almost always it is undeserved. This is the exact reason why Paul doesn't skip a beat in connecting our ability to forgive others when it doesn't make sense directly to the forgiveness 
that sinners like you and I have received from a holy God when, in all intents and purposes, it shouldn't make sense either. Undeserved and unmerited grace. Costly, sacrificially, and willingly given. Why? Because of love, 100%, but also for a relationship and eternity with those that he saved. We shouldn't just put up with other believers, waiting until the Lord comes, and then we'll never see them again in eternity. I need you to know that's not how that works, right? No, we will be with each other, our brothers and sisters, in all eternity. Yes, perfected. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of those things that get on our nerves about each other or ourselves will go away, but the reality is if they have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are his chosen, holy, and beloved ones that are set apart, you're stuck with each other. We're stuck with each other. Let us begin, and uh, let me encourage you to start building those God-given friendships and relationships that are going to go into eternity today. But again, let's, let's, let's get a further glimpse into the how we do this. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, love is the key that brings compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with and forgiveness together. Without genuine love and care for people, these other attitudes are just for show and they won't have a lasting impact. Again, Paul's been using this analogy of taking off old and dirty clothes and putting on new, clean, and holy ones. Well, love is the piece of clothing or the accessory that ties the whole outfit together and makes it work. I'm not much of a fashion guy, but I'm sure the, the, the teen girls will give me a perfect example afterwards. Uh, but again, I'm not gonna even try. The point is, though, is that love is what ties everything together. It completes and perfects the fit of a Christian. Without love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, we are just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Only empty noise without any substance. So we must love one another. That's the first how genuine love. But verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So the first how is through love, but the second how is through peace. The peace and fellowship with God that we have through Christ should rule in our hearts meaning that the peace that we have with Jesus, it should be the decisive factor in showing peace to our brothers and sisters in the church. In other words, peace should be ruling in our hearts when we make decisions, especially over competing concerns and interests. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about peace that sacrifices good, solid theology and truth and godly principles, but... Believers should relate to one another in a way that facilitates and demonstrates the peace that
that Christ has secured for them and has with them. Because as this text states, we are called in one body. We are to be unified as we follow the lead of Jesus as he directs. So again, love, peace, and the third how, which I think is kind of fitting for Thanksgiving coming up this week, is through thankfulness. I didn't plan it. But again, love, peace, and thankfulness. This brief exhortation at the end here to be thankful, it should reorient our hearts and minds not only on our earthly circumstances of imperfect people and hurt from words or actions that can't be unsaid or undone, but rather our focus should be on the glorious grace, love, and forgiveness that Jesus has shown to us. That should be our focus. And when we shift our focus, we will find it easier to extend to fellow believers grace, love, and forgiveness. And to put aside petty issues that can so easily hinder peace in the community of God. Now, there is one more how and one more why found in this section of scripture that we're, that we're going to be going through today. Again, we have love, peace, and thankfulness. Those three things, they can be a bit abstract for a how. But coming up next, we see the most practical way to put on this new self and to have genuine love, peace, and thankfulness for God. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Did you catch the practical? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I I, want to go further into the rest in just a moment, but I want to highlight something. We see very often the word of God in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, right? The importance of the word of God, his word, the Bible. And we see elsewhere in Scripture just how important reading and knowing the Bible is. But this section right here in Colossians is one of only two sections of the Bible that says word of Christ and not word of God. The word of Christ is the message of the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who will ransom God's people from slavery, sin, and death. It's the gospel. The word of Christ is the gospel of Jesus. It is the good news that proclaims that the God of the universe, the rightful king, has stepped down from his throne out of love in order to pay the penalty for sinners, death with his own life. But proving his power over sin and death itself, he rose again, promising eternal life for all those who would believe in him. This message The word of Christ, this good news, it needs to dwell in us richly. It needs to teach us. It needs to correct us. It needs to guide us wisely. And it needs to influence the songs that we sing, the things that we think about, and the words that we say. And it needs to light a fire of thankfulness within us 
that cannot be point that that cannot be put out by the different circumstances of this world. The word of Christ, the gospel, needs to be at the forefront of our minds and lips at all times. Again, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So how do we, as God's chosen, holy, and beloved ones, have compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, love, grace, and forgiveness for the other sinners who were saved by grace? This verse gives many practical ways to do that, to dwell on it. We are to ponder on the cross of Christ. Think about what it means for you and the freedom from sin that it gives. We need to dwell on the gospel and the great love that Jesus put on display for all to see. But also it says, teach and admonish one another. But we are to do it wisely. We are to use the gospel to encourage and lovingly correct others, not beat them over the head with it. We shouldn't use the gospel as a beating stick to shame those who are actively struggling and fighting against sin. Instead, we should use the gospel to lovingly come alongside and remind them that there is no shame through what Jesus has done and that they can fight the sin through the power of Christ and community that he's given. Now, as the worship leader here at Riverside, this next portion is one of my favorites. Paul describes a practical and encouraging way to dwell, teach, and admonish or correct each other. Again, did you catch it? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Here it is. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Singing. An amazing tool that the Lord has given to us to dwell on, remember, and teach his word in the gospel is song. And there are three kinds of song that are mentioned here. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms could be in reference to the actual psalms from the Old Testament put to music. Uh, hymns, think of theologically rich adaptations of Christian themes and truths. And spiritual songs. Songs that encourage and uplift our souls. Now, the three categories of song, they're not super easy to always distinguish, and I don't think that they're intended to be distinguished between. But what you do see from these three terms is a call to utilize a variety and richness in our Christian singing. We also see, uh, though, from that verse, is that we don't just sing to sing. There is a purpose behind our singing. God has designed music to be an amazing tool for his people to help us learn and memorize information. Okay, show of hands. How many of you know the states in America because of a song? Okay. How many of you know, how many of you know the books of the Bible in order because it was put to a catchy tune? Okay, yeah, okay. Um, I could go on and on, right? Uh, but again, from a very young age, we use song to help instruct and remember facts and truths. But 
it goes deeper than that. There is also an aspect of song that helps us to internalize these truths. Don't have to do a show of hands, but think about it. How many of you have been brought to understanding and conviction because of the clever wordplay and musical arrangement of a worship song? How many of you have been at the end of your rope, tired and frustrated, and the words from a song of God's faithfulness just come to mind? God created us and had song in mind as an amazing tool to help us as we live in community and have our minds transformed by his word. We are to utilize song as a tool. As the hymn, Come Thou Fount, states, Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Again, we are to use song, good, theologically rich, teaching songs, in order to, to, to help shape our mind and to help refocus our hearts on what God has truly called us to. But Paul included here an additional aspect to our singing. Again, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We are to sing with a thankful heart. It doesn't matter, by the way, if you are tone deaf. If you are singing from a thankful heart to God, please join us. Please sing. But at the same time, don't sing from a heart of obligation because this is just what we do here. So when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? When at Riverside, they sing, I'll sing, right? Where is your heart coming from as you sing? Don't sing with a bitter heart. Maybe you don't like the style or the song selection, but you're going to grit your teeth and join it anyway, right? Again, it's not to be singing from bitterness or obligation, but we are to sing as a response of thankfulness in our hearts to what God has done for us. Because church, we have so much to be thankful for. It doesn't matter what our life circumstances are, how much or how little we have, how good we feel or how much we hurt, how peaceful the world is or if it's on fire. If you have been chosen, loved, forgiven, and saved by God, friends, there is a reason to be thankful. And as we sang not too long ago, there's peace that outlasts darkness and hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow for tomorrow's in your hands. All I need you will provide, just like you always have. We can sing with thankfulness and hope no matter the circumstance because we are secure in the sacrificial blood of Jesus. We have that hope that we can hold on to. And as we sing, though, we teach each other these truths. We don't just sing to God when we gather, even though we 100% do, but we also sing to each other. We are encouraging and challenging each other with these truths. 
We encourage through doubt and fear with the word of Christ, the gospel, and the peace and hope that he promises and brings. It's, it's such an encouragement to me when after the service I hear people humming or singing the songs that we just sang here. Again, song helps God's word to dwell in our hearts richly. And it's a powerful tool that we should never take for granted or forsake. But lastly, Paul closes this section with a challenge. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The combination of word and deed, it's a way of referring to the totality of one's interactions with the world. So whatever you do, whatever you speak, whatever you think, whatever you type, whatever you post, on and on, whatever you do, whatever your job is, whatever task or chore that you have, everything that we say and do, it should be governed by the consideration of what it means to live under the authority of the risen King Jesus. Just as our worship through singing should be focused on the word of Christ, the gospel, so too should all of life be seen through the lens of the gospel and as an opportunity to worship. We are to do everything in the name of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we should have a catchphrase after we say and do everything. In the name of the Lord, I throw away this garbage, right? But at the same time, to do everything in the name of the Lord is to act in step and in unity with the nature and character of our Lord. So again, I, I use the example of, of throwing trash away, right? But there could be a way in which you're not just begrudgingly taking it out, throwing it across the wall, and then, you know, you get angry because then you have to clean everything up, right? Should be doing it, even that simple task, in a way that reflects the patience and the love of God. To do everything in the name of the Lord is to act in step and in unity with the nature and character of our Lord. When a believer is baptized, which we had a baptism last week, uh, when a believer is baptized in the name of Jesus, they come under his authority and they are called to conform to his character. Right? And again, we should do this with thankfulness to God the Father for sending his son Jesus in the first place that allows us to live out this new self and new life together in community as the family of God. <clears throat> but uh, let's, let's turn to application um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close. First, I recognize that this message, it was aimed toward believers. And I'm sure that that isn't the whole audience here. If that's you, uh, let me encourage you, stick around. Riverside is not perfect, but we are a people who have been forgiven of much, and we'd love for you too to receive that same forgiveness. It is very simple, but very life-changing. Recognize your need of a Savior because of your sins and rebellion against God. Repent and turn away from your sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you in your place to pay for your sins and then live out the new self, the new life that is available to you as you submit and trust in Jesus. Talk to God 
submit to him and trust in him for forgiveness and salvation. So again, if, if, if that is you this morning, I, I encourage you to, 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 to take that opportunity, talk to myself or one of the other elders or anyone that's been up here this, uh, this morning. Uh, we'd love to tell you more. But second, we sought to answer two questions. Why we should put sinful things aside and how we can do it. Believers, the reason why we should put sinful things aside is because we've been chosen by God for greater things than sin. We have been made holy and set apart for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the gospel to those around us and to each other. We are beloved by God and have been forgiven of much. So again, remember who you are through Christ as you try and live out this new self. And remember the how. By reflecting that love and peace to each other that we've first been given and shown by Jesus. Riverside, let's be a unified people who go above and beyond to show compassion, kindness, grace, and mercy to one another. Let's dwell on and ponder the gospel of Jesus. Let's be a people who teach and correct one another in love and use the tools of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in order to encourage and build up one another, all while we show our thankful gratitude to Jesus for all that he's done for us. I pray that that, that, that would be the outworking and that should be the response of what we've heard from his word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for immeasurable compassion, grace, and love that you've shown to us. God, I pray that we would be a church that lives out our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. God, please work in our hearts, convict us of where we don't measure up, and unify our hearts and desires to yours. God, please use your word and the songs that we sing to encourage our walk and to grow in our thankfulness to you and love for one another as we seek to honor you in all that we say and do. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.